0: Thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. Today's podcast is part five of our sermon series entitled, Instigating a Miracle. Please enjoy. Well, if you're a first-time guest or if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we are in a series called Instigating a Miracle. Let me catch you all up to speed here. What What we realized was is that everybody in life at some points needs a miracle. Can I get an amen out there? You're just going to need something. But you're going to need God to hook you up, rescue you, pull you out, and just do something amazing for you. And what we realized was, is when we tracked through the life and the account of Jesus, and we watched what he did during these miracle moments, what we noticed was, is, is that they weren't just because he showed up and just because he wanted to do a miracle, but that the majority of the miracles that he performed actually had a human element involved, meaning that there was something that a person did, normal, ordinary person. And what they did was, it was like trying to take, you know, uh, you know two sticks together and just kind of rub them together to get something going. And what they were able to do through some different principles, they were able to somehow steal a miracle, uh, ...talk Jesus into a miracle, wow Him into a miracle, some of them... ...and they all did something. And what we found was is there was a, a theme to this... ...that there was even a pattern to this throughout the Old Testament to the New Testament... ...that there are certain things that capture the attention of God... ...that there are certain things that, that rather move the Spirit of God in your direction. And I wanted to show you what I found in the Scripture, which was this. There are some principles to instigating and provoking a miracle... And I thought, man, if this is something that that we all need at some point in life, it's huge for me to try to unfold and unravel this thing for you. So today, if you're joining us, we are in part, I think, five of a six-part series. We'll finish next week. uh, Instigating a miracle. And if you're here today and you say, man, I don't know that I believe in miracles, I'm not sure about this whole thing, let me give you this one bit of, hang with me here. Because here's the deal. Let's say you don't really believe in miracles, you're not sure sure about the whole thing, because I'm going to talk to you uh, today about a really a strange miracle, something that is super far-fetched. And here's the deal that I would encourage you with. Number one is this, is if you don't believe in miracles, I would say just try, just go for it, just dare to believe, and here's why. Let's say you believe and nothing happens. You know where you're at? Right where you already are. You've lost nothing, have you? And if nothing more, what I would say is is that if you'll live by these principles, if nothing more, your life will be more blessed because of it. So before we open up the scriptures today, bow your heads with me one more time, and let's pray. Lord Jesus, speak to us today. God, help, heal, elevate. God, do what it is that you do best. God, we pray that you would be yourself in this place, that you would be strong and be mighty in this place, God, that you would show up in amazing ways, God. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen. So if you have your Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 14. Now, here's the deal. When we think about miracles, at least me, what I normally think about is somebody that's desperate, somebody that's in need, somebody that's sick, somebody that absolutely is desperate for something great to happen. But here's the deal. There's some scriptures and and, and some stories in the Bible where they didn't necessarily need a miracle. It wasn't like anybody was overly desperate. This, these are just things that were crazy, over-the-top, cool things that happened. I'll give you an example. There's one time, and it's in John chapter 2, where Jesus shows up to a wedding. When he goes to the wedding, he realizes, and everybody figures out, they're going to run out of wine real soon. Now, his mom was basically the, uh, the party planner, and she was the, the wedding planner. and She was the one making sure everything was supposed to go just so. The other thing you need to know is this. These are week-long wedding feasts. Aren't you glad we don't do that now? Guys, can I get an amen? Because guys, you go to a wedding and you can't hang 45 minutes. So, so thank God we don't have to go and hang for a whole week. So, but they would have these week-long feasts of nothing but food and partying and a lot of wine. You'd go through in a week, right? And so sure enough, everybody realizes, wait, we're going to run out of wine. And Mary gets into a panic. She looks at Jesus and says, you need to do something about this. I know you've got some miracle-working powers that you have yet to unleash. And so sure enough, Jesus' first miracle. I find this fascinating. His first miracle is not healing someone, curing an illness, raising somebody from the dead. His first miracle is turning water into wine. And not just regular wine, not that stuff in the box, good wine. The master of the ceremony said, wow, this is good stuff. Normally they wait until everybody's had a few glasses and they bring out the cheap stuff. But you, you, you've saved the best for last. And Jesus' first miracle was not necessarily a miracle of desperation. I, I would say it was just something amazing. And some of us in in our life, I'm just going to give you a thought. Some of you aren't desperate and going to die if something doesn't come through for you. But there are some of you in here who have a calling of greatness on your life. And there's a miracle moment that needs to take place for you to get over the hump, to take that leap of faith, to take that step, to accomplish that dream that God has given you. And so today what we'll look at is not necessarily miracles of desperation, but just kind of miracles of greatness, Matthew chapter 14 is one of those stories. Let's read along starting at verse number 22. So the Bible says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost. They said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately says to them, take what? Take courage. In the Hebrew language, he would, it says, it is I. It's actually the phrase, I am. He goes, no, 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 take, because I don't know about you. Okay, imagine living in a more ancient culture. I mean, like, people really, really were able to, like, believe in legend and folklore much easier than we are today. And now just picture yourself. You're a fisherman. And you've lived on boats your whole life. You're very, very familiar and comfortable with the Sea of Galilee and being on lakes and different things like that. And you see a, a, a dude walking on the water to you. What would you think that it was? I would be legitimately afraid... Like, out of my mind, don't know what to do, scared to death, okay? And so, literally, they're, they're, they get into this panic. They're totally afraid. Jesus gets that, like, it's a ghost! You panic across the. That's what I be like, it's a ghost! Run! Where are you gonna go? You're in a boat. Um, and Jesus' is like, shh, take, take what? Take courage. I am, which is the way God revealed Himself in the Old Testament, by the way. I am. Let's keep reading. Don't be afraid. And then Peter's brilliant reply. I'm not sure if this is a ghost or Jesus, but this is what I'm going to go with. Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come on out, he says. And then Peter, this is the crazy part, got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? My Gosh, you were walking on water. Wasn't it awesome? You just got to stay focused one more minute. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were with them in the boat worshiped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Okay, you've got to admit that's kind of crazy. Because as far as we know, nobody has ever walked on water before this. As far as we know, nobody has walked on water after this. And again, I told you earlier, if you have a tough time believing this, I don't even care. Just, just listen to me and hang on with me because I think the principle behind it is going to hopefully elevate and propel your life into something great. But what you find is this, is you find this miracle was not a miracle of desperation, was it? I mean, did Peter need to walk on water? Was somebody going to die if he didn't walk on water? As a matter of fact, he probably was going to die if he tried walking on water. And Jesus, I think, institutes this principle. And he starts out even in their fear and says, take courage. I am. And it sets the tone for, wait a minute. If he truly is God, something great could happen right now. And he's walking on water and Peter has the audacity to say, hmm, if it's really you. Can I come out to you? I feel like Peter's got to be like a a super young man. And just who I mean, like I want. Now, here's what you got to remember, too. Like you got a picture. This is a boat. This is a a boat uh, that that fishermen would use. This is not like a little canoe. Because this is what we would do. We would be kind of like throwing our our leg over the side and then like just dipping our toe in the water. I mean, that's what you would do, right? This is a bigger boat, okay? So this is one like, hold on, maybe. This is him full-blown having to like, okay, 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 okay. Here's what I'm going to do. I got to jump over the edge of the boat and believe against everything I've ever known that for some reason I'm going to be able to walk on the top of liquid. The principle you see here in play is what I would refer to as the principle of courage. We've looked at the principle of authority, the principle of atmosphere, all these different things. Here's the principle of courage. If you don't get out of the boat, you never get to walk on water. I mean, isn't that pretty much true? There's 12 disciples. Only one of them got out of the boat. Only one of them had an incredible story to tell when they got back to land, when they got back to seeing their mom, or when they got to get on Facebook later that day. Only one of them had a great story to tell. And it was all based on this principle of courage. And many of you in life, here's what I know. If you will go back and look at the defining moments of your life, the moments that you're most proud of, the moments where you achieve success or something great happened, what I'll I'll bet money on it. This principle of courage was in play. If you go back and look at the defining moments of your life, you'll look at a moment where you stepped out of a boat. And you might have, maybe it was going to sink, maybe it was going to fail, maybe it could have crashed and burned, but the defining, and that's why they're the defining moments of your life. Because it could could have gone either way. But for whatever reason, you still took A step of faith you still didn't didn't dabble your toe but you jumped out of the boat to see what if god catches me what if this happens what if it comes through and i'm telling you we have all these little moments in life i mean think about it i remember whether it was my first sermon or whether it was going off the high dive or whether it was asking that girl out or whether it was going out for that team or you remember all these little moments when you're young but see your life if you go back and look at them into your adult life now you're faced with all these little opportunities aren't you There are moments where you could pull the trigger, make the decision, take that step, and they take what? Courage. And it's actually harder the older you get, and I'll tell you why. People usually think that when you're wealthy or successful or everything's going good, that it's easy to step out in faith and it's easy to take a step of courage. I would dare to say it's the exact opposite. See, the higher you go in life and you go out to take that crazy act of courage, you've got more to lose. I mean, when you've got nothing, you can kind of risk it all. You've got nothing to lose. And so we, we have these defining moments. And guess what? The Bible's full of them. The Bible's full of all these characters. Moses, for example. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Was he afraid? Absolutely. Did he do it anyway? Yes. Should he have died? Yes. Did he? No. Defining moment of greatness. Gideon goes up. Uh, against an army of thousands with just a few hundred men is he afraid absolutely does he do it anyway should he have died <laughs> absolutely there's all these moments i mean even this, even the christmas story you look at the the life of joseph joseph was a man who was engaged to a woman okay this woman shows up one day and says hey joe i know we've never been intimate together but i'm pregnant what would you do in that situation how would you respond to her? And you know what her excuse is? God impregnated me. Yeah, I've heard that one like a hundred times. I'm not believing that one anymore. I mean, who uses that as their excuse as to why they're pregnant out of wedlock and you're telling your engaged husband, like, guys, like how do you, how do you respond to that? And for whatever reason, I think it was the angel speaking to him. But for whatever reason, he decides, all right, I'm going to take this act of courage. And your defining moments are made, and it really does swing on the hinge of courage. Let me give you some thoughts on courage. The first thing you need to remember is this, is that courage is not the absence of fear. It's not. You need to correct your thinking if you think, well, there's courage or there's fear. No, there's both. As a matter of fact, in the presence of fear is the only time you even need courage. Right. Without fear, there'd be no necessity for courage. So so it's not that they have to be mutually. Here's another thought, like you need to recognize that if you're waiting for all the fear to leave before you make your move, you're never going to make your move. Fear is a constant companion. The Bible's most quoted scripture in, in from Genesis to Revelation, the most quoted phrase over and over the Bible is fear not because fear is a constant companion you will never fully remove it from your arsenal and from your experiences and from your thinking and from your feel it will always be there and here's what i've learned there's a, there's a movie that came out not too recently recently called we bought a zoo And it's it's about this guy who literally buys a zoo, and he lost his wife, and he had these two kids, and he's just trying to put his life back together with them. And there's this moment where his son really wants to go ask this girl out. And he's so afraid, and he just doesn't feel like he has the confidence to go do it. And they're having this father-son moment. And in this moment, and I think it's a biblical idea, it's the principle of courage in play. But in in it, it says this. He says this amazing thought. He goes, all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, and I promise you something great will come out of it. Isn't that true? Because here's what I've determined in my own life when I look at my own defining moments. Was I afraid? Absolutely. And here's what I realized. You know what I really needed? I just needed one more ounce of courage than I had of fear. I was going to carry them both into my experience, but I just needed one more ounce of courage than I needed of fear. All I needed was one little bit of ump to get over it. And so here's the question I would have for you. What are the areas of your life where you've been hesitant, reluctant, fearful, timid, I'm not sure you were full of, you were, you were kind of doubting God, you were doubting yourself. Should I do that? Should I make that decision? Should I go for it? Because what I'm telling you is that there's usually a defining moment right there. And you can go one of two ways. And here's the problem. You don't know if you'll ever get that opportunity again. It might be an opportunity that you just get once in life. And if you don't, if you don't go for it, it might be something that you end up regretting For the rest of your life. Again, let me put it like this. It's not the person that sees opportunity in life. It's the person that seizes opportunity. Isn't that the difference? And what this tells you is this, is that you don't have to be the smartest person in the world. Do you? I mean, think about it. In life, when you look at the greatness, the the courage, the, the moments that defined you, it wasn't the smartest person in the world. It wasn't the most gifted person in the world. You know what it was? It was just the person that went first. I mean, isn't that true? Have you ever been at the top of a hill like oh, with all your buddies or you, and you got your bike or you got your skateboard and you're all like daring each other who's going to go first? Courage establishes you as the leader as different or as, as marking you with greatness. And it wasn't that you were smarter. As a matter of fact, in some ways, everybody could have thought you were a little dumber than everybody else for actually trying it. It wasn't the smart. When you think about the leader of any great organization, they're not the smartest person in the organization. They're just the one that went first, aren't they? I'll pose it to you like this. Who was the person that had the idea to put a computer on the desk of every office and every home in the world? Who had that idea? We have no idea. We just know Bill Gates pulled it off. So who's the smart? We don't know. Who's the most gifted? We don't know. We just know who went first and was bold enough just to take a chance and what you'll find is that courage does establish you more than giftedness more than as a matter of fact one of the one of the four cardinal virtues in catholicism is courage and it makes so much sense as to why when they explain it and what they go on to explain is this is you could have great love and you could have great faith and you could have all these other great attributes but without courage you never act on them Without courage, you never put them in use and put them in practice. And so courage becomes one of those virtues. And it's kind of a subtlety throughout Scripture where you see men acting out in faith and their faith is mixed with what? Courage. Most of the time, they should have failed. Most of the time, they should have probably died. But they didn't. Because in that defining moment, they trusted God, took a step of courage, and God rescued them. And God pulled it out, and God saved the day, or God showed up in such a huge way. I remember, you know, I'm a pastor, so I have my own defining moments. And one of my defining moments was my very first sermon I ever preached. I was 17 years old when I preached my first sermon. It was in a little Southern Baptist church in Greenville, South Carolina. And it was one of those old-school Southern Baptists. So remember, I've explained this, like the chandeliers, the pews, giant pulpit, that whole thing. And I remember getting up to preach my very first sermon. Oh my gosh. I hey, check this out. I had seven pages worth of notes. And for some weird reason, I left one at home. <laughs> so like I show and I'm like missing a page of notes. And so anyway, but I have I have this moment. And you know what? It felt like there was a heater underneath the pulpit blowing on me i'd never felt my body temperature rise so high and literally just sweats beads of sweats dripping off and guess what remember seven pages of notes i was done in 12 minutes i was it i almost thought about like what do i do now i've only gone 12 minutes like do i just start back over and redo it again that would make 24 and 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 i just remember being so afraid and so terrified i remember just uh, just sticking right there behind the pulpit hoping that That the pulpit would somehow save my life. All you need, was I afraid? Absolutely. But I had one ounce more of courage than I did of fear. And what you'll find in life is that fear will always be with you. It will be a constant companion. And the goal is not necessarily to get rid of the fear. The goal is to take courage with you and just look fear in the face and say, hey, I'm going to do it anyway. I'll carry my fear with me. Isn't that what you do when you drive in essence? I mean, when it's like have you ever been like in the middle of like maybe a mountain road and it's so dark and you can't see anything and there's a little bit of fog and you know, you know that you can only see so far in front of you with your headlights on. But you also know this. To get any further or to see any further, what do you gotta keep doing? You've got to just keep going, and by keeping going, you see just a little bit further in front of you, and that's how fear and courage work. It's not that you can see really far, and it's not that you're overly confident. You just know that the only way to make any type of progress in life is to carry your fear into that next 10 feet, that next 20 feet, and just hope that you'll be able to maintain and keep going, and God will be with you. And that's it. This is, in essence, life. And if we look back, not only does our, do our defining moments... They all have the element of courage. I would say that our most regrettable moments. If we were truly honest, when we looked at those, we would say those were the moments where I lacked courage. And we live with regret. and We think, man, what would have happened if? We have these if questions. Well, if I would have done that, what would have happened? Could this have? And we have all these moments. And what was it? What was hanging in the balance? Fear. I'm going to give you seven things that I think every person at some point in life needs some courage for. If you're taking notes, this might be a good time to take these down. The, the, the first one I would say is this, is the courage to stay when it would be easier to go. Man, there's just some moments where it would be easier just to run, to quit, to bail out, to just leave. And I'm telling you, man, it takes courage to stay. And some of you have walked away from some things and then you spend the rest of your life regretting, man, What if I would have given it one more chance? What if I would have hung in there? And sometimes we need the courage to stay when it would be easier to go. Number two is this, is sometimes you need the opposite. Sometimes you need the courage to leave when it would be easier to stay. Now you can see you need some wisdom and the Holy Spirit to help you discern when which is which. But there's moments in life where we need the courage to leave I've seen so many people in like bad relationships and they're dating this guy or they're dating this girl and all their friends are like what are you doing or why are you with them or what's well they have my CDs I can't leave them or you know whatever it is and 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 we have a cat together get rid of the cat um. And all your friends and everybody around you is like, why are you with them? Or you're, you're, you're going down a certain path of moral decisions or moral choices, or it could be a career path. And people are saying, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And you know what? The only reason you stay is because you're afraid of what will happen if you did leave. And you just need the courage to walk away against how much it might hurt your feelings, their feelings, how needy and clingy you might be in the moment. But you need the courage to leave. When it would be easier to stay. Number three is this. It's the courage. This is a guy one right here. It's the courage to ask for help. When it would be easier to pretend that everything's okay. We do this sometimes. Our marriage isn't going good. We should go get some counseling. Too stubborn. We're afraid. Well, what will they think of me? What if I have to confront some of my issues? What if I have to own some of my flaws that I never own to him or I never own to her? And it does. It takes some courage to say, you know what? I recognize that I need help. Many times we think the opposite. We think if we ask for help, we'd be weak. I would say it's the opposite. To ask for help requires you swallowing your pride and being, being a little courageous. Number four is this: sometimes it's just the courage to say no. Sometimes there's some opportunities we need to say no to. Some sin we need to say no to. Some relationships or some things or some op- whatever it is. Sometimes it's just the ability to say no. Number five is this: it's to face reality. Um, sometimes we have personal issues in life. And we're like, no, it's just not a big deal. Well, I can quit anytime I want. Well, that's just not a big issue. What if it is? Sometimes we get into denial, don't we? We take our things and we're just like, no, it's not that bad. Or no, I I don't have to work on that or whatever. Maybe it just be that we need to call it what it is and own it. Number six, it's to take a spiritual step. We have this all along our spiritual journey with Jesus, don't we? Like we're walking with God, and we come to a moment where God wants to deal with that thing in our life, or we have a moment where God challenges us. Maybe it's to start praying more. Maybe it's to start tithing, or maybe it's to go on a fast, or maybe it's to go on a mission trip, or to do it's some type of spiritual step that we need to take. And we're, we're you know sometimes we're just bound up by fear. Well, what if? And what if that doesn't work out? And what if that? And what if I don't have enough? And what if? And we have all these what if questions, and we're basically. Being held captive by fear, but I'm telling you, the defining moments of your life they all come back and hinge on these opportunities where you could have gone for it with some courage, or maybe you held back and stayed too reserved. And we called it reserve when it was just fear instead. And then, lastly, this is a great one number seven is to admit you we were wrong. Sometimes we have the hardest time just saying, Hey, I'm sorry, I was wrong. <laughs> Why is it that we have such a hard time with that? As a matter of fact, we should look in the mirror every day and just practice that. Wake up in the morning and be like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Guys, girls, both of you, there's some people in life that have the hardest time in the world. Sometimes you need the courage to go apologize. Sometimes you need the courage to go say, hey, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? And many times that would reconcile the relationship that would bring two people back together. But we hold on to it. We're afraid. We're afraid of hurting our own pride. We're afraid of what they'll think. We have all these little moments. What if, what if, what if, what if? Here's here's what I'm going to give you. Because here's, it's easy for me to get up and say, You need to be bold and you need to be courageous. And it's easy for you to walk out of here and say, Yeah, I'm going to do that. But wait till like the moment hits you again, right? And you're like, That sermon has long wore off. If I could have had that moment like 10 minutes after service was done, I could have done that. But like that was like two days ago. That's gone, gone. I've lost the, the, the courage that I need. I'm going to tell you what works for me here, real quick. The first thing that I've found. It's not enough to say, you need to be courageous, right? That'd be easy for me to get up here and say, what I want you to do is have the tools and understanding and renew your mind so that when you get the moment, you just are prepared and you know, And, and this is the first thing I always think about, is that courageous people, really, they are still afraid, but here's what they're afraid of. Courageous people are more afraid of missing an opportunity than afraid of failing. That's what I've seen about courageous people. Are they afraid? Yes, But they're also afraid of missing an opportunity way more than they are of failing. And people who have a fear of failure, I'm I'm telling you, they always stay back. They always stay reserved. They always stay conservative. You cannot look at failure as that big of a deal in life. Can I just help you with that real quick? If I were to go through every character in the entire Bible, what I would be able to point out to you is three failures for every one success. We all fail in life. You need to embrace it. As a matter of fact, you need to get good at telling your failure stories. They're your best ones anyway. People usually don't like hearing your triumphant stories. Usually you just come off as rubbing it in their face. What they love to hear is how you failed. And isn't that what your greatest stories really are? Many times it's like your failure stories. This is the way courageous people think. They think, I'm going to go for it. And if it doesn't work out, I'll have a story to tell in six months. I won't tell it right away because it's still a fresh wound. But I mean, six months, I'm going to tell that story. That's just the way that they look at. See, what you've got to recognize is that success and failure are not on opposite ends of the spectrum. They're on the same end of the spectrum. Opposites are, are, would be this, success and to do nothing at all. Those are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Because here's the deal. To succeed or fail, you both have to do what? Try. You've got to make a go. You've got to attempt. You've got to just risk it all. And what God wants you to do is say, hey, I'd rather you risk it and me have to fix that than you sit back and do nothing at all and we have nothing to work with. God wants you to try, and he wants you to see. Because again, when you think about it, when you go back and look, what are your greatest regrets in life? They all hinge on a moment where we didn't act, and we didn't go for it. I'll tell you my story. When I was a kid, um, our middle school had a middle school choir, and um, if you know me at all, you know I cannot sing at all. Like, none. I don't know what tone or pitch is, and I've been told that I don't have either one, so... I can't sing, so I don't really know why or how. I think all my buddies were on the choir. It was kind of a cool thing to be on the choir in my school. It doesn't sound very cool right now, but I mean, at the time, it was school does. And, and so I was on the, on, the, on the school choir, and what we did every year was is we went to like Six Flags. We had carowinds. It was basically the same thing. And, and so sure enough, in middle school, I'm ready to go on the big trip to carowinds to go out with the choir. And, and here's the deal, though. I'm only in like seventh grade. How old are you when you're in seventh grade? Does anybody know Like 12? Okay, I'm still afraid. I'm afraid of the roller coasters. Can I get a witness out there? Was anybody like, is anybody still afraid of roller coasters? You still, thank God, thank God. I love them now. I mean, I'm like a, I'm like a, a coaster junkie. Now I could go on them over and over and over again, but back then I was so terrified and so afraid of roller coasters. And so, but I was able to avoid them at that day and time. You know, I was able to just like bounce around from group to group, and whatever group was not going on a roller coaster, I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll go do that with you." And I just kept avoiding it. Nobody could really pick up pick up on the fact that I was deathly afraid of roller coasters until. Okay, so there's this really really cute girl named Margie Dutton. Oh my gosh, she was so cute. And, and, and I totally had a crush on her and it turned out she had a crush on me. I didn't know it at the time. But later, we, we, um, we got together and became boyfriend and girlfriend. Y'all, y'all remember that was going together? Y'all remember that? And you didn't really go anywhere because you didn't have a car. And I didn't have like a seat on the front of my bicycle. So like it just meant we showed up to school together and we were like, hi, and we tried to hold hands a little bit. It was really weird. Um, going together. Where did you go? I don't know. It's just what we call it. Okay, mom? So anyway... So Margie shows up, and she's got her little group of friends, and I'm with my little group of friends, and for whatever reason, just fate and timing and God's providence brought us to uh, the brand new roller coaster called the Vortex. And this is like a brand new roller coaster. It's one of the dope, new, cool, on the entire East Coast. And it was called the Vortex. And it did loops and spins and all kinds of weird things that I was deathly afraid Because I always pictured, I always thought as a kid, like, if the roller coaster jumped off the tracks, where would it land? And that's how I pictured roller coasters. That's how afraid I was. But here's the deal, though. How many of you know, like, when Margie rolls up, you don't want look like a punk? I mean, you can't come off weak, or, you know, you're not, you're not a pansy or a wussy or whatever word you would use in that situation. I just didn't want to be that guy. And so Margie rolls up, and she's like, hey, guys, how you doing? You know, whatever, hair, fluffy, middle school. And she's like, hey, let's go in the vortex. And I'm like, Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's get, yeah, I'm down. And so, oh, do you remember like walking through the line? They'd go this way and this way and this way. It took you an hour to get through the line. It was one hour of total fear is what that was. But bless God, I was not getting out of that line come hell or high water. I was not getting out of that line because my eye was on the prize. I was afraid, but I'll tell you this. I was just a little bit more afraid of losing my opportunity with Margie than I was of that roller coaster. And I carried both of those fears with me through that one hour long ride and onto that vortex. And remember, you just pulled the... You pulled that down on you. And one of the most scary parts of the entire roller coaster is what? It's not the loops, because at that point, adrenaline's taken over. It's before adrenaline's taken over and they just... You go real slow around the turn and then you get that... And it's like your heart skips every time. You're like... "Uh, I'm gonna... uh, And it's going up. Once you get down that first thing, it's just you scream bloody murder and you you can make it through it. But what I'm trying to tell you is this, is that life is many times like that. You've got to be a little bit more afraid of a missed opportunity. Because I'm telling you this, the pain of regret is way worse than the pain of failure. The pain of failure, you get over that pretty quickly. The, the, The pain of regret, you will carry that for decades. Asking yourself the questions, I wonder what if. What could have happened if I I would adjust if I should have or would I could I all these questions I'm telling you the pain of regret is way worse Than the pain of failure and what you need to do is just be a little bit more afraid Of missing an opportunity than you are of failing because again that failure just turns into a great story Six months later. The second thing that I would tell you is this is that is that courage is contagious When you hang out with jesus this is just what I've learned. Courage is contagious when you hang out with Jesus. The longer I have walked with Jesus, the easier it has been to overcome my fear. And here's, I'll give you a scripture example. Acts chapter 4, verse number 13. The Bible says that Peter and John, after Jesus is, is buried, resurrected, commissioned them, They begin to launch what we know now as the church and the gathering of God's people. And sure enough, there were some religious people that were not all about it. They hated these guys. They didn't like this whole movement that was going on. So they threw them in prison and they beat them and they brought them before council. And in the first moment when they bring Peter and John before council, this is what happens. The Bible says that when they, the council, saw the what? The courage of Peter and John. And realized they were unschooled ordinary men they were astonished and they took note that what that these men had been with jesus do you notice that like immediately everybody in the room knows these guys are not that smart these guys are not that gifted but man they're bold and they are fearless and they don't even care you know what they've been with jesus and i feel like that in so many times in life so many times in my life i feel like i'm pretty ordinary I'm not that brilliant, and I'm not that smart, and I'm not that gifted, but you know what, bless God, if I just hang out with Jesus enough, there becomes a fearlessness about me, and there becomes a security about me, because here's what I know, that even when I take a step and fail, that Jesus still loves me, and Jesus still picks me up, and Jesus still puts the pieces back together. So even if I fail, what have I really lost? Because God is still for me. Last story, and I'll close, I remember um, being at Hume Lake, which is this big, huge Christian camp, and my son was just a, a little tyke, probably only, you know, three years old at the time, and uh, out on Hume Lake, you can go out to this one section where there's this big rock that all the, all the people will go out to and then jump off that rock into the water, it's just one of those special spots, and I remember taking my son out there, and again, he's just three, he's a little guy, and he's not too fond of heights at this, at this point in time. I love it now because he is fearless on roller coasters. I took him to Disneyland earlier this year, and he, he did, he did um, California Screaming like five times in a row without getting on. Aw- and he loves it, so I'm so excited that he's not afraid like I was. Um, but at three, he was a little fearful, and I took him out to this rock, and he sees all these people jumping off. I'm like, hey, do you want to go jump off the rock? And I know mean, from a distance, it doesn't look that big. Um. So I feel like I kind of tricked him a little bit. But when we got out there, how I many? the closer you get, the rock gets bigger and bigger. And I, I put him up on top of this rock. And I remember saying, all right, Peyton, I'm going to be right down below. Just jump and I'm going to catch you. And you know what he did? He froze. Just absolutely froze with fear. And there I am at the bottom coaching him. I'm pepping him up. And finally, at one point, I looked at my wife. I'm like, just push him. Just push him. Because I don't want my son to miss this opportunity, right? Like, this is a fun event. This is a fun opportunity. And what do I know that he doesn't know? You're going to be fine. I'm going to catch you. Even if you go under, I'm going to pull you right back up. There is nothing to be afraid of. And this is what our Heavenly Father, I believe, does to us. Because he knows what you don't know. And he knows that even if it turns into a disaster, that's okay. I'm just going to pick you back up. And even if you, I'm going to catch you. And I promise this is going to be an event that you'll be able to look back on and say, you know what? It might not have worked out the way that I wanted it to, but I went for it and I gave it my best and I gave it my all. And I'm telling you, the principle of courage takes over. And there's many of you that God's given you a dream. God's given you an idea. God's given you an opportunity. And at the bottom of that opportunity, he's sitting there saying, come on, you got it. Come on, I know you can do this. If you will just jump, I know stuff you don't know. I'm way bigger than the rock, I'm bigger than you, I can catch you, I can tread water for eternity, I promise you, if you'll just jump, I'll catch you. And many of you, you're, you're hanging on the balance of that moment, a few of you even right now have got that opportunity. If not today, down the road, in the next year or two, you're probably going to be presented at a crossroads, at this moment in time, where you've got to just go for it, and trust that God will catch you. And what I'm telling you is this, is that no matter what the outcome, God will put the don't get me wrong, there's... There's smart risk and there's dumb risk. There's calculated risk and then like, okay, that's not very bright. Seek God, pray, get counsel, but when the moment presents itself and you know you should, I'm telling you, go for it. Because here's the principle of courage. If you don't step out of the boat, you never get to walk on water. If you don't take a step of faith, if you don't risk something, you never get to see. And what you'll miss is that defining miracle moment that I believe God wants you to have. You go back and look at your life. Your greatest moments are moments where you took a step of courage. And some of your worst moments are where you recognize that you missed an opportunity to take a step and you've lived with regret ever since. You know what I'd love for you to do? I'd love you for you to drop it and forget about all the regrets and make a decision today to say, God, every time I'm given an opportunity, God, I just want one more ounce of courage than I have of fear. I'm not ever going to be fearless in life, but just one more ounce of courage. And God, I want to trust you with my life. Let's pray this morning. What a great thought. Peter didn't get to just throw his leg over and, and dabble the water. He, he probably had to literally just jump right over and hope that water somehow went from a liquid state to a solid state. And he got to walk to Jesus. On that day, there were 12 disciples in the boat. Only one of them had a story to tell. I'm I'm, I'm just assuming that all the other ones could have said the same thing. They all could have said, Jesus, can we get out there? Can we walk to you? And none of them did. But it was Peter. And you know what's funny too? Is that Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water for a while and then he fails. Sometimes life is full of both failure and success. But here's all I know is it never would have happened had he not trusted Jesus. And that's the way I want you to live your life. So dear God, we pray that you would give us a little bit of courage. That God, in your presence, we would feel so confident that we can go, that we can do, that we can say, that we can overcome. God, that we are fully persuaded that you are with us. And even if it works out good or bad, God, you're always there to catch us when we fall. God, we trust you and believe for greatness, Lord God. Sometimes we're not desperate for a miracle, God. Sometimes there's just a miracle of greatness on our horizon. That God, if we'll start walking, if we'll start stepping in your direction, something great will happen. God, let us be those people of faith. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. If you believe that, give me a good gospel. Amen. Amen. Yeah, put your hands together this morning. Thank you again for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. For more information on Jubilee Tri-Valley Church, please visit us online at Church dot org